it's good that my parents and my sister are here this morning because they can check me on this story and they can confirm it to you all. I don't remember the exact year. I think I was either a sophomore or junior in high school, but it was 4th of July. We were at my grandma Beth's house. My extended family was there. My grandma has seven grandchildren from her three daughters, and all of us are very close in age. It was just like you can, you can just count the years up. Every year there was a child being born for about seven years. So we're very close in age, and as we got older, we got more rowdy, if that's possible. And this one particular 4th of July, we were old enough to set off our own fireworks, which I think the adults like. They set up their chairs, they sat back, and they watched us put on a show for them. Well, this particular year, we put on a show. Three, four high school age guys in control of pyrotechnics. Not a good idea. So we got this genius idea to take these artillery shells. Do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about artillery shells? Shells? Yeah, you have the little canister and then you have these balls with the with the fuse on it and you light the fuse and it pew and it's pretty. It's pretty. It's it's pretty fireworks for poor people. That's what I like to think of them as. So we had our one canister out there. I, I, I take that back. We had two canisters out there, but we thought, you know what? We'll make this even better. We'll put multiple balls in each canister. So we twisted them, the, the fuses together, and we had them in there. And we had done several, and it was nice and pretty, and everything worked out fine. Well, my cousin Nick was over trying to light this one. Well, my cousin Chad was over here lighting this other one. And Chad got his lit, but Nick couldn't get his lit. So he was trying really hard. He knew this one was about to explode. He was right here close by. He wanted to get away. And so he just like that and ran away. It lit. And the canister fell over at the same time. Now, let me tell you where the adults were sitting. The adults were sitting up against the garage door. The garage door was down. But there is a a little door that you can go into the garage and into my grandmother's house. It was open. But, you know, it's this big by this big, you know. So it's not very much space for a firecracker to go in. Added to that, just to be very safe, when you go in my grandmother's garage, there's steps that go up. There's a little podium. There's the door here. And there's steps that go down the back. And we had taken the box of fireworks and put them on the back to make sure that nothing could happen. Well, let me tell you what happened. This canister fell over, went right over the head of my Aunt Anne. I mean, just like she had to move. It's kind of like the Matrix, you know, and goes, finds the door. How it found the door, I don't know. I mean, it was heat-seeking missile through the door, right over the step, and the trajectory made it into this box that was only about this big. I mean, just right into the box. Well, the next thing you know, you look into the garage, and there's, I mean, you just see lights flashing. I think every single one of the fireworks got lit by that one artillery shell. Bottle rockets are whizzing through my grandmother's garage. Her wall is on fire now. There's smoke coming out. The adults don't know what to do as kids are going, cool, you know, that's awesome. My Uncle Mike gets the water hose, turns it on, goes in there, puts the fire out. I mean, he's, 
He's dodging fireworks and he's putting the, the fire out. It's extreme firefighting. I think it should be a new sport in the Olympics. And everything worked out. The house did not burn down. No one was hurt. Um, they weren't happy with us, but no one was hurt, thankfully. And now we can look back and laugh about it by God's grace. It definitely didn't turn out as planned. It wasn't what we expected, but it sure was an adventure nonetheless. I want to talk about expectations today. I'm the new guy. I'm new around here. I I lived close. I grew up in Lamar, as we've already talked about, and you all have found grace and looked past that. But I didn't grow up in Mount Vernon. I haven't attended Covenant Baptist Church very long. I'm the new guy. I don't know much. And at the same time, I'm your pastor now. Like it or not, I'm here. And I'm a lot less nervous than the first time I was here because you're stuck with me. As Baptists, we believe once hired, always hired, right? Is that right? Okay. I won't hold you to that. But as we come together in this new relationship, there's expectations. You have expectations of me and I have expectations of you. And expectations are a very funny thing. They keep us going forward in the face of opposition. They keep us motivated and engaged. It's good to have expectations so we don't lose hope. Without expectant attitudes, we become sad, lazy, and joyless people. In fact, the Christian life, according to God's word, is one big expectation of what is to come. It is the expectation, the assurance that Christ is on the throne and that he will come back for us one day to take us to be where he is now. It is the confidence that he who began a good work in us will complete it. It's the great hope that we who have trusted Christ are forgiven of all sin, past, present, and future. And now, because of the blood of Christ, we are accepted by God. We are justified, redeemed. And because of that, we escape hell and we go to heaven. That is the expectation of every single believer, and it is good. I mean, capital G-O-O-D, good. But, as good as expectations are, they can also be very damaging. Damaging when they are unrealistic, unbiblical, or simply uncommunicated. While expectations are vital to us both as human beings and as Christians, they can be just as damaging when they are not kept in check and handled correctly. When I counsel married couples and, and they tell me what's going on and it's very common and or, or I should say pre-marriage counseling. I do that a lot. I don't I haven't counseled a lot of married couples yet. But a lot of the conflicts or the problems that you see come from unmet expectations. 
I thought you would be home at this time tonight. I thought you would do this particular household chore. I thought you would do this or that for me. Uncommunicated, unmet expectations are causes for great conflict in all relationships. And so with this in mind, and since we are starting this new era in the life at Covenant Baptist Church with me as your pastor, I want to talk about the issue of expectation so that we all start off on the same page and on the right foot. Amen? Because don't you want that? I want that. Absolutely. Well, before we do that, I want us to turn to God's word. If you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, I want to read verses 14 through chapter 4, verse 3. Ephesians three fourteen through 4, verse 3. And I'm just going to give you a heads up right now. This, it, this will not be indicative of most of my sermons at Covenant Baptist Church. Most of my sermons, by God's grace will be very expositional in nature. We will go to God's word and we will talk about his word. We will try to understand his word together, but it will all be about his word. And we are going to use God's word today. I believe these are all biblical principles, but this will be more topical in nature because it's a special Sunday. And, and I want to deal with this. I want to, I want to get it out there. I want to put it out in front. I want to put it on the table so we can all start off on the same page and on the right foot. So if you'll stand with me in honor of God's word, it'll be up here as well. Would you follow along with me as I read Ephesians three fourteen through chapter 4, verse 3? And Paul writes this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So he's praying for them. This is his prayer for them. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Please be seated. And God, as we have read your word this morning, as we have experience this wonderful worship led by our worship team. Would you use all that you have done, the word that you gave to us thousands of years ago, so that it would be relevant in our lives today, so that on this Sunday, November 17, 2013, you would use it to instruct us and to... At least give us an edge, Father, if we would be obedient for fruitful and effective ministry at Covenant Baptist Church going forward from this day. Lord, would you use me, your imperfect, fallible servant, to speak words of life 
to these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to suggest three perspectives to ponder and take captive for Christ that we might accomplish and receive all that God has in store for us. I want to look at three perspectives, what you expect, what I assume, and what we all know. What you expect, what I assume, and what we all know. Three perspectives to ponder and take captive for Christ that we might accomplish and receive all that God has in store for us at Covenant Baptist Church. First, what you expect. I don't know all of you yet. In fact, there's a lot of you I don't know, and even the ones I do know, I basically just know your name. I know you live in Mount Vernon, Missouri, or at least most of you do. I know you attend Covenant Baptist Church, or at least most of you do. But I don't know a lot about you, so I'm not going to presume to know what you expect. And so instead of listing your expectations, since I don't know what they are really, I may know some, but not all, What I want to do instead is talk a little about expectations so that we would consider our expectations with a biblical perspective. And so the first thing I want us to know about expectations is we all have expectations. Every single one of us have expectations. Just like any relationship, our union as church and pastor comes with built-in expectations. You have expectations of me. I have expectations of you. Now, I know what my expectations are, but I don't yet know what all of yours are. And whether it will be because I don't know them all, because they may not be proper expectations, or because I'm a fallen man saved by grace just like every other believer, I will not meet all of your expectations. And because of that, at some point, God forbid, it could lead to frustration disappointment and hurt feelings and so i just want to say up front i will fail now hopefully not big picture fail hopefully not irretrievably fail but i'm a sinner saved by grace i'm just a person and at some point whether because of wrong expectations or because i'm not perfect I'm probably going to disappoint you. So let's just, let's just get that out right now, okay? And let's just be okay with that. Now, I'm not saying you can't call me on it. I'm not saying I'm not accountable. I'm absolutely accountable. But if we're all on board with that, it's just going to be a lot more happier place for all of us here. Now, of course, I pray that it doesn't happen. I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail you. But this is one of the obstacles that we have to overcome. We cannot let our own personal expectations outside of the expectations the Bible lays on us become a hindrance to the ministry at Covenant Baptist Church. So that's the first thing we know is that we all have expectations. The second thing we need to know is that not all expectations are realistic, fair, or biblical. All of our expectations may not be realistic, fair, or biblical. And I know this to be true very well because as many times as a little kid, as I took the bath towel and tied it around my neck and jumped off the couch, I never flew, not once. Can you believe that? 
Not one stinking time did I just take off and fly around the house. I always hit the ground. And I knew then, and I know even more so now, I am not Superman. And I know that none of you are Superman or Superwoman. I definitely know that none of us are God. Yet at times, we put expectations on others that we would never put on ourselves. And it doesn't mean that high expectations are wrong. I think high expectations are good. The Bible says, God says, be holy as I'm holy. That is high expectations. So expectations aren't the enemy. But if we expected things But if we expect things of others that only a superhero could do, we are being unfair and you will be sorely disappointed. Because we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. We all fail. And because we're sinners, not only do we sin, which God forgives by his grace and which hopefully we do less than we did yesterday, but because... We're still affected by that old nature. Even though we're made new in Christ, the shadow is still there. It still hangs over us. Not only are our actions affected by that, but our expectations are affected by it as well. And this is where we must be so very careful. Some expectations are right, realistic, and fair, but some are not. So we all have expectations. Not all of them are good. Some are, but some are not. And these wrong expectations, when we have them, lead to wrong behavior in us and in others. This is where conflict erupts. Our personal expectations, although not necessarily wrong, can drag us or others into sinful bitterness when they are not met. Do you know that to be true? Have you seen that in your life? The health of any relationship is greatly dependent upon this issue. I believe unmet expectations are at the root of many, if not most, conflicts in all relationships. And I'm not alone in this opinion. Dr. Gary Chapman, in his book, The Marriage You've Always Wanted, he states that one of the biggest reasons for conflict um, in marriage and in any relationship is unknown and unmet expectations. Now, conflict is a constant reality. The Bible tells us that where two or more are gathered, their God is in their midst. Well, I'm going to say in the very unauthorized version, where two or more are gathered, at some point, conflict will be in their midst. It's inevitable. We are human. We are fallible. We have different personalities and different opinions. Therefore, we have varying expectations of how others should treat us and how they should act. And of course, we know conflict is not the enemy. We treat it like it is. I don't want to have conflict. I don't, I don't want to disagree, so I'm going to pretend like everything's good. I'm going to pretend like I agree with you even though I don't always. It's because you've got some people who flee from conflict and, and avoid it at all costs. You have others who, I mean, they haven't had a good day if they haven't had a couple arguments, right? Amen. <laughs> but conflict is not necessarily the enemy. Think about it. What if the, the town gets wind of this new preacher and everybody wants to come to covenant? Wink, wink. <laughs> it's 
not going to happen. We don't have enough parking. What are we going to do? Are we going to build over here or build over here? Are we going to take away the, the children's stuff? This person has one idea. This person has another idea. And there's conflict. But that's good conflict. Or deciding on how, how to allocate space in the church for thriving and growing ministry. That's good conflict. Or someone passes away. That's not good. But they leave a large endowment to the church to do greater ministry. We all have different ideas of how we should use this money for God's glory. That's good conflict. Or at least it can be. So it's not conflict that we can or even should always avoid. There will always be conflict so long as more than one person is involved in anything. The question isn't how to avoid conflict, but how to handle our expectations and how to deal with the conflict that may come out of them when they are unmet. So the question is, if all of us have expectations, if they're not all good, if if wrong expectations lead to wrong behavior, then what do we do? What's the response Well, the first thing we must do is we must take every expectation captive and test it according to God's word. Second Corinthians 10, 5 tells us to take every thought captive. And first John 4, 1 says to test every spirit, every thought, every expectation, take it captive before it gets out, before it escapes. Put those handcuffs on and look it in the face and say, is this good or not? Is this biblical or not? If it's good, let it go. If it's not, put it down. We all must turn to the Bible in order to take our expectations captive and compare them to God's word, which is perfect. We are not perfect. It is perfect. God's word is the great stabilizer of our desires and expectations of others. It both dictates our expectations, or it should, and it discerns for us whether our expectations are coming out of a heart of love or a heart of selfishness. So take every expectation captive And test it according to God's word by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, let us regard others as more important than ourselves. That's humility. I don't know if I, yeah, I put it in big capital letters. I was going to put like three exclamation marks after it, but I didn't want you to think I was screaming at you. But you get the point. Humility, humility, humility. Philippians 2, 3 through 8 tells us to consider others better, more important than ourselves. Consider their opinions. Consider their needs. Consider their expectations. So let us ask the God of grace to give us humility. The kind of humility which Christ had when he went to the cross. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy. It hurt. It required him to leave heaven and to come to earth. He had to take on flesh. Limited. Dirty flesh. I don't think Jesus had ever had to take a nap before in all eternity past. And now he couldn't go two or three days without at least sleeping a little bit. But he did it for us. That's the kind of humility we ask God for or must ask God for in our lives. Third, we must communicate clearly and constantly. Clearly and constantly communicate with one another. Bill brought this up 
when I was first here about how we communicate in the church, not just how the leaders communicate to you, but how we all communicate to one another. I think it's so important. This is such an alleviator of those, that bitterness that we get ourselves into when our expectations are unmet. How many of our personal or interpersonal conflicts could be mitigated or completely done away with if we would simply communicate? I've learned that when people get their feelings hurt or they get angry or they get bitter in church, almost always it's because of a failure in communication. Now, of course, sometimes people can just be downright ornery. But usually, it's either a miscommunication, a misunderstanding, or a failure to communicate altogether. I wanted you to do this, but I didn't tell you, and when you didn't do it, I got mad at you, and that's ridiculous. So if you have expectations of me as your new pastor, then I'm not, I'm not just inviting you. I'm telling you. Talk to me. Tell me. Politely, nicely, humbly. But tell me, I may not be able to meet your expectation, whether it's because your expectation is just unreasonable or unbiblical. Maybe it's because I'm just not gifted or talented enough to do what you're expecting of me. But at least we'll be on the same page. So if you want me to have a a cool haircut or much hair at all, I'm sorry. I will fail you. It's not because I don't try. I will try to meet your expectations if it's possible. I have used Rogaine. (laughs) And I should call it Rogaine very little because it didn't work very well for me. Um, I don't look like those guys in the commercial with the big wavy hair, you know. Use clear and constant communication, loving communication. Before the conflict ever erupts so that the bitterness never comes into play. Or at the very beginning, if if conflict, if you can feel it starting, go to somebody. If you're upset with somebody or you think somebody might have a problem with you, go to them. Just talk to them. Hey, what's going on? Let's let's talk this out. And, And usually we'll find, oh, I didn't mean that. Or no, I didn't actually say that. And everything's good. Usually. Clear and constant communication and and, i mean just think about it husbands and wives this is they're the perfect illustration here men you're getting ready in the morning and you realize the shirt that you had planned to wear that day is in the dirty hamper and you say to yourself has she just decided to stop doing laundry altogether i mean this has been sitting here the whole week does she just plan to let laundry pile up until there's nothing left in the world but dirty laundry and generations to come won't even know what land looks like because there's just laundry everywhere? Isn't that... Have, we get ridiculous, don't we, when our expectations aren't met. We go to the extreme. But ladies, you're not off the hook here. Your, your man comes to you and says, hey, what can I do for you? Oh, nothing, don't worry about it. But you're doing whatever you're doing. And you begin to think, I shouldn't have to ask him to help. I shouldn't have to tell him what to do. He should just know. He should want to help me. And that bitterness begins to well up and she begins to get angry and he never does anything. He's lazy, good for nothing. Does he not love me? I mean, he doesn't even love me anymore. Well, maybe I just won't do anything for him ever again. Amen? 
all that was needed was a little bit of communication to avoid all of that. Hey, sweetheart, I'm going to want to wear this shirt in a few days. Oh, okay. I, I, have, I have found this to be true. Katie, she's an awesome wife. If I, would, if I just tell her what I want, for the most part, she does it. Within reason, she does it. Hey, I need these pants in a couple days. Um, I, I would really like to have this for supper in a couple days. And it's magically there. Oh, that's right. She's a good wife. Communication, it is key in everything. And then fourth and lastly, always be willing to request and offer forgiveness, grace, and mercy. How often does God give you grace? Every single day. He is perfect, we are not, and he offers it to us. And yet, how unwilling we are too often to give it to others. You know what? I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Well, there we go. It's, it's out now. We're good. Now we can move forward. And, and we're going we're gonna to disagree. There might be conflict. But we have a lot of grace for one another. Because we know none of us are perfect. Unless you communicate to me your expectations. And we afford each other much, much grace and humility. And understanding. The ministry of covenant will not be all it can be. For the sake of the kingdom to the glory of God. Now that was the, that was the large part. The next two points are pretty brief. So don't think, oh man, that's just one point. We've got two more to go. That was the big one because I wanted to deal with that issue of expectations because it's so key in us moving forward. So that's what you expect, or at least a look at expectations. Here's what I assume. This is what I assume. First, I do, well, I should say what I don't assume for this first one. I do not assume that this church is broken. You are not my project. You are my flock. You are not a job that needs to be done. You are a people that need to be loved. I don't assume that you're broken and I'm here to fix you. I think the elders and and, and you all as a church have done a tremendous job these last 18 months in dealing with conflict, issues that you had in your church. And I'm not saying it's over. I'm not saying that there's not more to deal with. There's always more to deal with because there's always sin. But I come into this church very encouraged that this is a healthy church ready to go somewhere. Secondly, I assume that every believer in this place loves the Lord, loves the people of God, and loves the lost. Now, I know I'm probably not right, but I assume that. I assume that if you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, by that you say you're following him, that you love God, you love the... You you love the other people in this church and you love the lost. I expect that you are a people who follow the great command, the greatest command and its companion. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love others as yourself. Now, I know none of us do this perfectly, myself included, but I do expect that we must and will work to grow in these things every single day. I believe that according to scripture and what it teaches, it is good and right for me to expect Christians to act like Christ. I don't assume you're broken. I assume that you love God, you love other believers, and you love the lost. And third, I assume 
that you want God's best for Covenant Baptist Church. I just come in, I'm coming in with that assumption. You want what's best. I want what's best. So even when you disagree with me because I'm not perfect and I may not always be right, even when we don't necessarily see eye to eye, even when you don't meet my expectations and I don't meet yours, we can say that's okay because I know the heart it's coming from. I know that you want what's best for covenant. And I know that whatever you think, whatever you want to do, it's because you want to see God glorified in this church, in Mount Vernon and beyond. There's a lot of lenience, a lot of grace afforded when we all have that same heart together. Third, what we all know. So we looked at expectations. We looked at what I assume. Third and lastly, what we all know. First thing, and this is this is on me. This is I'm looking in Derek, Derek's mirror last week. Michael and Cinnamon, I forgot to give you your certificate and gift. I just saw that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm going to fail you, okay? <laughs> Thank you for that illustration, God. Well, this is, once again, another great segue. What do we know? That I am just a man, fallen and in need of grace. Don't put me on a pedestal. I don't sit in an ivory tower. Yes, I'm your pastor, but I'm just a brother in Christ. And we all have roles. That is my role in this particular place at this particular time. But we all have roles to fill in the body of Christ. Secondly, we know that I am only one man whose gifting and abilities are finite. I can only do what God allows me to do. And he is limited what he allows me to do for the sake of my own humility and so that it doesn't rob anyone else of the opportunity to serve. Where I lack in spiritual gifting should not be a source of frustration for me or for anyone else, but I hope that we can all see it as the opportunity for someone else in the body to rise and shine for Jesus. Don't expect me to be your Savior and Messiah. We already have a Savior and Lord, and He's really good at what He does. I am not Him. Amen? And, and you will just find that to be true as we go on together, okay? More and more, probably. I'm only one man, and I need all of you to be a part of this body for this to work. I assume, or, or what makes that okay, is once again, because I assume that every believer in this place is ready to dive in, all of us together, into this amazing journey that God is about to take us on. And I believe that with all my heart. He is vetting us. He's getting us ready for something amazing to come. And so let's just, let's just get on board together. We watched the Polar Express the other night. Get your tickets, okay? Get on the train because we're going somewhere. Woo! I like it. I like it. Third, God has a plan for this church. We all know that. I know that. Do you know that? 
God has a plan for this church, for Covenant Baptist Church. God has a plan. God has a a great plan for this church. We wouldn't be here if he didn't. He has gifted this body with you, his people, and he's given different gifts and different talents in order to use us in his kingdom work. We are a body of believers, and God has equipped this local body with all the different parts. All the different parts must play their role in this church so that we can accomplish and achieve and receive this great plan that God has for us. If we don't, we won't. Not to the full extent that God wants to to unravel this plan for us. Not only does he have a plan, though, fourth and finally, God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Or we could transplant the word expect. Isn't that what it says here in chapter 3, verse 20? Here's where we're going to get into the text. Just at the very end, let's end with God's word. Because we've got all my words out of the way, so let's get to the good stuff now. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So God just doesn't have a plan for us. He has a great plan. He has a plan that is beyond anything that we can imagine. Anything that we expect, just multiply it by like infinity, okay? And that's what God has in store for us. Now, we may not live long enough to see all of it. But I do believe that if we trust him, God will exceed our expectations. I want to turn your attention, and I end with this illustration, to Ephesians 3. And and there's several translations that modify this phrase incorrectly. It doesn't mean that the word of God has been changed in any way. But if you go to the Greek, in verse 17, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love... Verse 18, may have strength to comprehend, comprehend what, what, to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Now, some translations will go on to say of the love of Jesus Christ, because the next phrase there talks about his love, because it goes on to say, and to know the love of Christ. So they just assume that that's what it's talking about. But of the love of Jesus Christ is not in the original manuscript. It says, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And then it stops there. And then it goes on, and to know the love of Christ. The length, the height, the depth, and the breadth. Now, that's four dimensions. What do we live in? We live in a world of three dimensions. Is Paul stupid? Does he not know that we live in a world of three dimensions? What's this four dimension stuff? Well, let me tell you what it is. If you look at a building, what do you see? You see length. Width and height, right? That's what we see. When we look outside of a building, we see the length, the width, and the height. And all of Ephesians is talking about the church that God is building. Not not a building, but this infrastructure of people where he's bringing Jews and Gentiles and people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And he's bringing them together and he's building this amazing thing called the church. And it's more spectacular than any building that's ever been built. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. At Ephesus, there was what was called the Temple of Artemis or Diana. She was a a Roman Greek goddess. I think it was of the hunt, which is appropriate since it's for opening season of, of the opening of deer season. Hunt 
and the moon and of birthing, which is also appropriate for today, right? But she's not real, of course. But they had the temple of Artemis, and it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I mean, it was amazing and spectacular. It had taken decades to build this temple, and it was centered right in Ephesus, where people from all over the world would come to see this wonder. And so Paul uses this language, this idea of this building, to talk about the church that far surpassed the temple of Artemis. But Paul gives these four dimensions. Why did he do that? Well, in those times, in that place, when they built a building, of course, we know that in the Middle East, there's a lot of sand. And so you couldn't just build upon the sand. Jesus said that. You had to have some kind of structure or foundation to give solidity to this building so that it wouldn't just fall down or move away. So what they did is they dug deep into the sand and they built these long porticos, basically a big old basement with these columns that they used to solidify the structure, to give it stability. But when you looked at the building, just like we look at the house and we say, does it have a basement? Because we can't see the basement. So there was another level. In fact, this word for depth is bathos in the Greek. And that's what they called these porticos. They called them bathos. They were these underground tunnels where they, they usually used them for storage. But the real reason they were there was for structural stability. And so Paul is saying here, what you see is not all there is. We see the length, the height, and the width, but we don't see the depth. It's like an iceberg. You see 10%, but 90% of it's on the water. You never see it. And what God is doing, 90% of it, we don't even see it. We don't even know about it. It's above and beyond anything we could ask, hope, imagine, or expect if we trust him, if we obey him. If we get on board, if we just love one another and are willing to forgive one another, if we keep, take our expectations and hold them captive and test them according to the word of God, if we communicate them, God will do amazing things. And you know, that's true in this church, but I want to end with this. God can do amazing things in your life this morning. And, and why I know that's true and how I know he can do that is because of the cross. God sent his son to die for sinners so that he could take our life, remold them, make them. He could put in the depth and the width and the height and the breadth. And he can make much of you. Now, I don't mean that in the sense of that he just makes so much of you. He fawns over you and he worships you because that's not the God we serve. We worship him. What I mean by that is he can take your life. And do amazing things with it. But you have to surrender. You have to trust him. You have to come to the cross and lay everything down. And say I'm yours. He will forgive you. He will remake you. And he will do amazing things. And God this morning I pray that you would do that through my life. Through the lives of these people and through this church. In Jesus name. Amen. As we... Sing our final hymn this morning, would you respond to God's call in your life?